I do you this hand, hand. I do a hand gesture that no one can see. I can see it. But it's like it's kind I of I appreciate it. It's like a game girl. It's how you've got to get your your voice enthusiasm. Yeah, that's in, true. You yeah. know, like yeah. what voice actors do, yeah. I imagine behind the mic. Yeah, and it also it's a gesture that's very reminiscent of a woman on a game show showing you the prizes. Yeah, it that's is. kind of what it is. Yeah. yeah. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> welcome. And uh, we've had some excellent response over the last fortnight to yeah. our Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale, Tale special specials you with Justin from the May Day podcast. Yeah. And the mini-sodes have gone down a treat. Yeah, we hope you're enjoying them. So I think that uh, in the future we'll be looking to do a few more mini-sodes. <laughs> I've said that without knowing what we're going to do them No, about. we have no plans except for, that oh, seems successful, maybe we could do that <laughs> in the future. Maybe we should do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on that journey with us. Yeah. We hope we didn't overload you too much. Uh, I think it was fine, wasn't it? Bite-sized snacks. Everyone seemed good with that. Yeah. It's like having a pocket full of almonds that you can just (laughs) nibble on throughout the day. (laughs) Just like a pocket full of almonds. (laughs) You know, when you need, you just want that quick, efficient snack. Are the almonds loose in your pocket? Because then they'll get like pocket fluff on them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a small small bag. Or bag, a, a paper bag full of almonds. Okay, good. We've That's gotten we're way off. Anyway. Way off topic Who are we talking about today, Alicia? Oh, well, so what's happened in the world recently? You know, the G20 summit. That's the thing that's, that's happened happening. recently. Yeah, well, it happened. Yeah. yeah, it happened in Hamburg, the town of riots and miniature trains. Miniature <laughs> railways. <laughs> miniature railways. Which are fantastic. Yeah. I love miniature them. Miniature Wonderland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was that? That was That's what it is in <laughs> German. Minute of Wonderland. I know, but I said V. Oh, I was like, right. V! Is it like it was an excited but German squeal of enthusiasm. <laughs> so what German people squeal when they squeal enthusiasm, <laughs> I don't think. And yeah, anyway, so there was some excellent sort of eye rolling at Putin this week. Yeah. There was some excellent sort of vying for wackiest world leader. Yeah. I think we're at that point now where there's just a lot of people in the running for like <laughs> nut bar fucking crazy rulers. Who can be the most atrocious leader of the <laughs> Who can world. be the wackiest, craziest, <laughs> most unpredictable ruler in the yeah. world. And I also enjoyed watching everybody snub Trump. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. But in thinking about that and in thinking about crazy rulers, I thought that this week... That inspired your choice of deviant woman. It inspired my choice of deviant woman and uh, I thought we'd do a ruler. And I thought we'd go to Russia. Yeah. Well, Russia's pretty hot right now. It is. Why not? And I think that when we think of Russian rulers, we tend to think of... The word I'm using is wacky. I think it's an understated word. But we tend to think of the wacky Russian rulers. The really... Well, they're significant. They stand out. They're memorable. They right? are memorable. Mm. And most of the ones we think of are men, of yeah, course. Definitely. So in Russia's history, there have been some pretty wacky... There's been a few lady leaders quite a lot yeah of lady leaders so actually statistically doing quite well in terms of their gender (laughs) balance for leadership very true but the russian leader that we're going to talk about 
this week. Maybe didn't do so well in like the excellent ruling stakes. Right. She may well have been a little bit of a villain. Mmm. You know, when we talk about deviant women, oftentimes we're looking at sort of uncovering forgotten women or women who broke the rules of their society or who were brave or pushed boundaries, right? Exactly. And we put a positive spin on that, yeah. you know, like it's reclaiming positive, empowering. empowering. But sometimes there's also just women who were just plain bad. Women can be villains too. So we're doing a villain. She's yeah. a bit of a villain. She's not totally a villain. Like she's she not has totally some redeeming qualities. She did actually do some good leadering. Yeah, she did a little bit of good leadering. She if had some positive things. <laughs> she's not all bad, but she does some pretty out there stuff. Yeah. So tonight we're, we're gonna to. raise a little glass of vodka. A <laughs> vodka. Because we're in Russia, so let's be as stereotypical as we possibly can. <laughs> hey, we've done rum when we've been in the Caribbean. We've That's done. True. We like you know, to match our drinks. We do. Yeah. So we're going to have a glass of vodka. If you can hear the. So we're talking about Empress Anna, Anna Ianovna. Ianovna. Ianovna, Ianovna. I don't know how to say it correctly. Hopefully, we will be forgiven for our Australian Russian. <laughs> And for our Australian lack of Russian yeah. at all. And it also sounds like we're talking about a tennis player. Yeah, because they all start with o- end with over. <laughs> That's not stereotypical at all. <laughs> but whenever I discuss anyone whose last name has an over, over. in it, definitely feels like I'm talking about a tennis player. <laughs> um, but we're going to start a little bit before Anna comes to the throne mm-hmm. because we're just going to get a little bit of a sense of the setting. 18th century Russia. The year is... 1727. Good year. Good vintage. Excellent year, I assume. (laughs) And the story begins in 1727 because this is the year in which Catherine I, who was... Not Catherine the Great. Not Catherine the Great. They're different people. Different women. They're different women. There's a lot of Catherines who ruled. There are. And I think people often think of Catherine the Great as being connected to Peter the Great. Yes. Who was her husband? But they're not. They weren't married just because they both had the surname The Great. (laughs) Because Catherine the Great actually came much later in time than Peter the Great. Peter the Great's wife was a Catherine, but she was Catherine the First. Wasn't Catherine the Not That Awesome? (laughs) Catherine the Average. Catherine the Average. (laughs) Peter the Great died. And Catherine the Average ruled for about two years after Peter the Great's death. Yeah. And then in 1727, Catherine the Average also died. So From being really average. From being so average. And she was so average that in her rulership, she had had to appoint a Supreme Privy Council to rule for her. Right. Because she knew nothing at all about how to rule the country. That had all been Peter's deal. Pretty right? average. <laughs> she's super average. <laughs> so the Supreme Privy Council have been ruling in her stead. She basically has spent the last few years of her life partying, taking mm. lovers. Having a good time. Having a great time, not paying any attention at all to how to rule the country. In the 18th century, they really did know how to party the aristocracy. They, oh my God, they did. And they we're partied gonna, so hard. And Anna parties so well. We're going to get to how Anna parties. Excellent. So great. <laughs> great. So great. Not a, she doesn't party in an average fashion at all. She parties in a great fashion. She was also illiterate, just so you know. What? Yeah, so she couldn't actually, all she could do. Holy was, shit, so she could have been signing anything. Yeah, so all she knew how to do was sign her name. That was oh the only thing God. she knew how to do. 
Do you imagine how much trust you'd have to have in your advisors to be an illiterate ruler? Exactly. Oh, my God. the Supreme Privy Council basically just, like, typed up their things and she just signed them. Typed them up. Typed them up. Like, like, 18th century typewriters. (laughs) Clack, 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 clack. And printed them out and faxed them to her. In the palace. And she just signed them. And then she signed them. And then wow. she scanned them in and sent them and back. And sent them back. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what happened. Because she was a maid. And oh. she actually was just a mistress for Peter the Great to and begin with. And he married her because did he have a son with he her? He had illegitimate children and with her. And he wanted to legitimise them so yes. he married her. And this is going to become important further down the line when it gets to trying to figure out who to put on the throne. Mm, right? After Catherine the Average's death. After Catherine the Average's death. So let's remember Peter the Great, Catherine the Average had children but out of wedlock, she was merely the maid. They were married later on and the mm-hmm. children were legitimised in yeah. inverted commas. Yeah. yeah. So so they're less legitimate than properly legitimate kids. Correct. Yep. Excellent. So Catherine the Average dies, right? And so then we're left with this problem of who's going to be the next person to rule Russia. Because this is the Romanov line, right? So this is like a pretty big dynasty. Yeah, the Romanov dynasty I think is probably the most well-known probably, dynasty, yeah. I, I would so. assume. Yeah. And we've got to think about what males are left in that line. And there's only one male left. I was going to say, I'm guessing there's not many. There's not many, if any. Well, there's one. And that is another Peter. And this is Peter's grandson, who we'll refer to as Peter the Second. Peter the Second. Not as great as... No, not as great as anyone. But... I mean, we couldn't come up with different names to distinguish these people. This no. is why history becomes so history confusing. So confusing. Everyone has named the same thing. If we just all stopped naming our children the same thing as us, it wouldn't be so difficult. So Peter II is only a 12-year-old boy when he gets appointed by the Supreme Privy Council to rule. But that kind of suits them because really basically the Supreme... Yeah, they just need a proxy. They need a proxy. Yeah. And it's a council made up of noblemen who just have their own agendas yeah. and they're just they're happy for him to be yep. the ruler, the puppet. the puppet, and they can manipulate him yeah. into whatever they want to do. He gets engaged to a fellow called Menshikov engaged at like... Oh, I was going to say, he got engaged to a fellow? <laughs> what? No, he well, didn't. Russia really was progressive. It wasn't that progressive, no, <laughs> not at all. He was engaged to Menshikov's daughter. Okay. This was because Menshikov had actually sort of made Catherine the average sign that into her will. Oh, all right. And yeah, okay. that... She couldn't Pe- read what she was doing. That's right, that Peter II would take the throne as long as he married mm-hmm. Menshikov's daughter. But Peter II actually fell in love with his aunt, oh, which is Peter the Great's daughter, oh, Elizabeth. So his actual blood aunt, not yeah. like a marriage no. aunt. He's a proper blood genuine aunt. Genuine aunt. He fell pretty madly in love with her. And he's 12? And he's, oh, he's about 14. Yeah, yeah about 14. Okay. Well, 14-year-olds are pretty... She's know, not 14. I mean, she's older No, than but that. I'm just saying that, like, the feelings and emotions of 14-year-olds are intense and insane. So. Yeah, and that legitimizes falling in love with no, your aunt. I'm just saying. You're just putting it's fine, I'm you know? I'm just like, hey, look at Romeo and Juliet. Like, <laughs> 14-year-old love. 14-year-old love is intense. It's That's an intense thing. It is. It's all true. Thing. Who was I in love with when I was 14? I was in love with Christian Slater or somebody like that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Peter II was not. So Menshikov basically was eventually kicked out by the Supreme Privy Council because he was just getting a little bit too in charge of things and mm. had Peter II a little bit too under his thumb. Another family called the Dalkarukov family sort of now comes to prominence in the Supreme Privy Council, which is consisting at this time of the Dalkarukov family. Mm, yes. I'm saying that so dodgily. I... The Galitsyn family. Yep. Let's remember the Galitsyns because the I'll come back later. Especially Mikhail, Prince Mikhail Galitsyn. Let's uh-huh. remember him. He's a nobleman. 
and a certain Baron Osterman. Osterman? Yes, or Oosterman. Oosterman. I don't know. Peter II doesn't get married to Elizabeth because they're not going to let him marry his aunt. No. Instead, his engaged. engagement to Menshikov has been called off because Menshikov's been exiled oh. by the Supreme Privy Council. Did they send him to Siberia? They did, yes. They sent everyone to Siberia. Oh, wow. And because uh, he was getting a little bit too big for his boots, so they've ousted him. Yeah. He's off, which means the engagement to his daughter is off, which means there's another engagement set up for Peter to marry the daughter of a Dalkarukov. Yes, they were one of the Because they're families. one of the other families yes. that are in this noble Supreme yep, Privy yep. Council. So now they've manoeuvred themselves into position of power. However, just to move the story along, a week or so before his wedding, he is diagnosed with smallpox. Diagnosed. Smallpox. He gets smallpox. This is why we need immunization. This people. is why immunization is important. Mm-hmm. Pierce can get smallpox. On the day of his wedding, he <gasps> dies. The day of his wedding? day of his wedding. That's so tragic. It's pretty tragic. So Peter II, handy, he's off the scene. Now that's no more men in the Romanov line. That's right. So Romanov line is done. And before he died, the Dal Karufkovs wanted him to sign a will to say that his successor would be his betrothed. Oh. Right? But he never signed he the will. He carked at first. Oh, my God. They must have been so annoyed. They were like, we are so close. So it's the day of the close. wedding. We have nearly cinched this deal. Yeah. And then he dies. So Eek. close to kicking out the Romanovs and oh. getting the Dal Karufkovs in. But alas, oh, no. Man. The this will is, like is not Game signed. It is, I assume, not having watched much Game of Thrones. So this now means that the throne is open. Yeah. So where are we going to go? But there's all ladies. There's only ladies so there's left. Illegitimate daughters of Peter the Great and Catherine the Average. Correct. And then there's the cousins, who is Anna. There's a few daughters on the other side because Peter the Great was actually co-ruler with his brother, Ivan. Mm. Ivan was the older brother, but Ivan was mentally incapacitated mm-hmm. i don't actually know what specifically was wrong with yeah Ivan. and to what level and what that actually means but some accounts basically say that for a lot of the time he was practically vegetative so he was pretty much incapable of ruling yeah which is why his younger brother peter ended up on the throne and his dick worked yes sorry it did indeed and he had children by his wife correct yes. on this side of the family we have and they're all legitimate and they are actually have the more legit claim to the throne because they are the older brother's children? Because they're the older brother's children and because they're from a legitimate marriage, they are actually the first people they're going to think of mm. above the other children, including Elizabeth. Yes. So Elizabeth has passed over at this time mm-hmm. and we're looking at the other side of the family. So on the other side of the family, there are a couple of daughters who are married to foreigners. That's not very handy. We don't really don't want, want that. that. And then there's Anna. Yeah. Hey, Anna. How Hello, you doing? Anna. Hey, Anna. And so now we're at Anna. We finally got there. The setup is complete. Anna time. It's Anna time. Why that song? Anna time. Oh, I get it. Yes, I can. That's good. That's real good, Lauren. So Anna is the legitimate daughter of Ivan the Fifth, who, as we've explained, was Peter the Great, older brother of Peter the Great, and she is a widow at this stage. She had another near wedding story deathy kind of a situation didn't she she did so she's been married before she's a widow and this is why she looks like such an excellent idea for putting on the throne because she doesn't have a foreign husband so there's no one who's going to try to wrestle control from this council that's and right impose their like legit authoritarian or like 
foreign royalty on that's the right because thing. she's a widow and be- also because she's not particularly well educated because even as a noble woman she was only educated till about 10 and i imagine that a lot of her education was probably things like music and dancing yeah and i think she was taught a little bit of like german and french as well mm. but beyond that age her education hasn't continued yeah so she certainly doesn't have the smarts to rule the country mm. and she doesn't have any children from her her previous marriage so she seems like a pretty good puppet again, again another we're looking Peter for a puppet junior yeah just looking for somebody we can put on the throne and then pull the strings yeah so she seems like the best opportunity so anna let's talk a little bit about her life before she comes mm-hmm. to the throne. So we'll put the pause button on 1730. Okay. Because 1730 is the year that Peter II died. Mm-hmm. So he did rule for a couple of years before he died. And we're going to go back to Anna. Anna. So Anna was born in 1693. And as we've said, she was the daughter of Ivan V. And she had a pretty sort of religious and strict upbringing. Her mother was incredibly pious and you'd have to think her mother, like her life wouldn't have been easy because she no, had a, like she's an incapacitated. To a, that's right. Yeah. She's yeah. Ba- basically married to an invalid. Yeah. And so she kind of brought her children up in a very strict, religious, pious manner. Yeah. And princesses as well. Like the life of a princess is not a Disney princess. They're not Disney princesses. They're not Disney princesses. This is not right? Anna she's and not, Elsa. No. She's, well, she's Anna, but she's but not Anna and she's Elsa. She's not Anna and Elsa. That's Anna. right. Yeah. yeah. Like, you would basically spend most of your time in your rooms. Although, maybe that is like Anna and Elsa. Oh, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) But they basically would only ever leave the palace to go to church or to ceremonies in public. If you were ever out on foot in public, attendants would basically hold drapes up around you so that the public couldn't see you, so no one could look on you. So, I mean, the life of a princess was not flittering birds and songs. No. And it's actually very little birds and songs. Yeah, wisecracking side animal sidekicks. Yeah, they're maybe not there. One if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah. Probably like a wisecracking Siberian tiger. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So she had a pretty sort of strict, not the most fun upbringing. But in 1710, she would have been about 17 years old. It's arranged for her to marry Frederick Wilhelm, who's the Duke of Courland. Courland is kind of like modern-day Latvia or part of modern-day Latvia. So she's engaged to Frederick and she's pretty stoked about this. She's Mm. pretty excited about love. They're going to get married. It's awesome. And she's pretty excited about this because poor Anna is described as not the most intelligent and also not the most attractive of people in the world. So the fact that she's being organised to have a wedding is pretty exciting for her. She was described by a writer of the time... Uh, Thomas Carlyle described her as looking like West Philian ham. Oh, no. I don't even know what... <laughs> I don't actually even know what, like, West well, Philian I, I ham just, I feel like is, you don't but... want to be described as any kind of ham. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. It's not polite to be described as ham. So she was described as West Philian ham, uh, which is a really terrific insult, oh, actually. I feel like the adjective is really just there... To add insult to injury. <laughs> yeah, I don't know like, what, what that... It doesn't really matter what but kind doesn't, of hand. It doesn't matter what kind of hand. We're just going to flourish this insult so, <laughs> with Westphalia. So the poor thing was clearly not considered to be the most beautiful or wonderful of women on the market. But this wedding, she's totally stoked to be getting married. But right. she's got status and that's She's got status. Thing. She does. So the wedding itself 
was beautiful. Anna wore a, a cape embroidered with gold and a bejeweled tiara. Uh, at the ceremony, there were fireworks. Aww. It was a massive, huge, grand-scale wedding. Um, it cost something like 200,000 rubles, which is... What's that in uh, today's money? Which is the equivalent of about 40 million US dollars. <laughs> Holy shit. So it oh was a, it's a pretty Oh my god, I wonder how everybody revolted. Is Not that, that fucking right? Like is years. that fucking right? That is fucking right. Is that what I have written? Shit, that is what I have that's written. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And I don't think that's a typo. I think that's genuinely what I've written Holy down. Shit. So a pretty lavish dollars. affair. God, Wowzers. that's a lot. But at the same time, Peter the Great obviously didn't think much of Anna. Obviously. Didn't She's care West for her. She's West Philly in She's West <laughs> And at the same time as her wedding was taking place, Peter the Great also staged a dwarf wedding. Oh, no! As, as like a... As a companion celebration. It's his niece! <laughs> his niece's wedding. Oh, my God! And the dwarf wedding was an incredibly elaborate affair. And now, of course, I'd like to say that in the current world... Hopefully, we wouldn't no. use dwarves as like hilarious parodies. No, 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 no. But at the time, you would. At, at, at the, the time, time this would be like a great joke and a great insult, I imagine. A massive like, insult. So it's basically parodying the wedding, making a statement on just what he thinks of Anna and her husband. And I have a little quote from a biography of Peter the Great about the dwarf wedding. So at the feast, the dwarves sat at miniature tables in the center of the room while full-size guests watched them from tables at the sides. They roared with laughter as dwarves, especially the older, uglier ones whose hunchbacks, huge bellies and short, crooked legs made it difficult for them to dance, fell down drunk or engaged in brawls. Oh, no. It's pretty Horrible. Mean. Yeah. So Peter was basically sort of expressing contempt for Anna and for her mm. husband as well. And also sort of for the entire Russian court, really, because yeah. it's just a parody of lords and ladies and noble life, just making a complete mockery of the whole yeah. thing. So Anna, of course, was a little bit offended by this mock wedding as well. During the wedding celebrations, Peter the Great was knocking back drinks. Yeah. Okay? And Frederick. Did the dwarf wedding take place at Anna's wedding? I think it took place like a day later. Right. Okay. So there's still the festivities. Yeah. Of the wedding fest is like part of the wedding on. festivities. Yeah. yeah. And so at the wedding festivities, Peter the Great's knocking back drinks. And Frederick, Duke of Courland, thinks I should match Peter the Great. Yeah. Drink of for drinks. So he's knocking back drinks as He's well. like 17? Yeah, he's all of 17. Yeah. So they kind of get into a bit of a drinking contest and, and trying to keep up, he drinks so much that immediately after the wedding, he sort of becomes horrendously ill yeah. from alcohol poisoning. Alcohol poisoning, yeah. And he dies two months later. Two months? What? Really? Yeah. Like a couple of months later, he died. It took two months yeah, to die of alcohol months. poisoning? Yeah. Wow. So I think it kind of weakened him yeah. and to the point where yeah. he died. Oh, man. So... People in these days had long, slow, drawn-out deaths. Yes, yeah. You'd get an infection or a problem, and it would take but a was, long time for that, that to kill you. Just, but that would be it. That's the end. That's the end. It's like, but fuck, I've stubbed my toe. <laughs> I guess I'm going to die. Three months from now. <laughs> yeah. Three months from now, that toe will be the death of me. <laughs> so now poor Anna is a widow, only shortly after becoming married. At the ripe old age of 17. Yeah. She's actually pretty desperate to remarry. She wants to marry again. And she, I read something that said she wrote over like 300 letters expressing her like desire to get married again. Like she wanted love. She Mm. wanted to get married again. And Peter the Great pretty much rejected every other suitor. Sounds like a real piece of work that Peter the. Piece of work. Peter the not so great, I say. Eh? 
Peter the a-hole. Yeah. Peter the... Anyway. So after Frederick died, Anna pretty much never married again. And she continued to rule Courland for about 20 years. So she must have been doing a pretty all right job of it. So she rules there from like 1711 to about 1730. She never remarried. That brings us back to 1730. Now we are here again with Peter II's death. We're back in present times, 1730. And the warring fractions of the family. So the Supreme Privy Council have decided that she's the best bet. No great charm or intellect. Mm. We'll put Westphalian ham on the throne. But they prepare her a list of conditions. Mm. And these conditions include she's not allowed to start a war with anybody. Okay. She's not allowed to make peace or sign a treaty with anybody. Right. She's not allowed to introduce any new taxes. She's not allowed to promote anyone to any office. She's not allowed to sentence anyone to death. She's not allowed to take anything from any nobles. She's not allowed to spend any state revenue. She's not allowed to get married again. Mm. And she's not allowed to name her own successor. So I have a feeling she's probably going to break all of these conditions. (laughs) You might be right. (laughs) So basically these conditions... The way they're set out by the Supreme Privy Council is that she's only going to really have control over her I mean, own income. She's just a figurehead, really. She's like just a figurehead. They've completely, they've tried to make her utterly powerless, yes. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. truly a puppet. Completely powerless. Yeah. Except she's allowed to be in charge of her own income and she's allowed to be in charge of her palace guards. And that's about all that's she's it. given in yeah. terms of any kind of power at all. Who wants to be an empress if... That's all you've got. So, well, she yeah. signs the conditions. She signs the forms. And in uh, January of 1730, Peter's death is publicly announced. And Anna steps, Anna steps in. Up. I have a feeling there's going to be some kind of a loophole coming up. Did uh, the Privy Council miss something? Or is there something that's going to go on? Because I have a feeling she's not going to just sit here with her guards and her money. You'd be right. There's actually not going to be any loophole. Mm-hmm. She's just going to fuck shit up. Okay, so all right, good. Let's, let's, let's do that. Into it. Let's do that. So she moves into the palace in Moscow, and she starts to get to know her guards, who are basically all she has any control over. And she sort of starts bolstering herself with her palace guards and learning from them that the Russian people are pretty outraged at the conditions she signed to come to the throne. And they know about these conditions, yeah. obviously. Then. Yeah. Okay. And that the Supreme Privy Council is not particularly popular. Mm. So she is said, it because they're a bunch of self-serving yes aristocrats. It is. That oh. is correct. Yeah. Yeah. True to thought. Who thought? Would have thought they wouldn't be popular. So weird. So strange, yeah. isn't it? So she kind of senses that, okay, well, look, it probably doesn't matter what I do here because the general Russian populace are behind me. Mm. My guards are behind me. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you've got your guards behind you, then... Yeah, she's like, like, so you know what? Forget this shit. She tears up the contract and decides that she's going to rule. Also, I read this thing that said that, like, on the night that she tore up the conditions, because she actually tore them up in front of her. Physically. Physically tore Good them honor. up. Good I read a thing that said that on the night that she did that, there was apparently like an aurora borealis in the sky. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's like sort of like so, some omen. That must have felt so like, oh, symbolic. Yeah. I'm tearing up the papers. <laughs> the sky is alive. Why are we turning this into a song? It was a film of her life. I feel like that would be the big musical number. Yeah. That's and the number you go to for interval. But. The Siberian tiger also sings as well. (laughs) This should be turned into a Disney princess film. Why is this not? Anyway, so she tears it up and within a week, the Supreme Privy Council is completely dismissed. So 
I don't see this is the thing that I don't think I get about a lot of these politics is just what is there checking these rules so is it the fact that she's got people power that she's able to just basically chuck the Privy Council out and just be like well you know what you guys have your official state rules and laws and whatever but I've just got these beefy dudes behind me and they're like (laughs) yeah pretty much yeah yeah that's how coups work, generally. That is how coups work. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty much people power. Beefy dudes. It's beefy dudes. <laughs> that's, that's a coup for you. So she dismisses them. And she sends them to Siberia? Within a month, the Dalkarukovs, which I say every time hesitantly because I don't really know and how pointing. to say it. And pointing. Within a month, they're exiled to Siberia. And that's actually where Menshikov from earlier on had been exiled as well. Yeah, okay. He had died the year before in Siberia just as an aside. So now she's empress. And now she has supreme executive power. Correct. I imagine. She does. She sure does. So By mandate from the masses. So one of her first things that she decides <laughs> to do is rather than implement any rules or policies or try to, you know, actually be, like a, ruler, be a ruler, she demands to see everything that was confiscated from Menshikov when he was exiled. Oh, interesting. That seems like a weird, like... No, that's um, what she wants to do. Revenge thing. And... She decides to keep some of the jewellery and some of the items from Menshikov's hall to the equivalent of about $4 million US dollars. $4 million? Yeah. It's a lot of shit. Yeah. And she also decides that another one of her first acts as empress is going to be to commission two new palaces to be built oh, for herself. Well, if she's requisitioning all of those exiled people's fortunes, then she can probably afford to build some new palaces. Yes. So she's not like getting in there and being like let's reform education and health you know <laughs> she did do some of that though didn't she She did do some of that but it's not her not key. yet it's, it's not, not, her, not a priority it's not a priority she's got other priorities man building palaces so she moves into the palace in moscow and she brings her chamberlain along a german man called ernst biron oh and ernst day yeah so old ernst comes in moves in with her you're pulling a face well i'm just, I'm just thinking that you probably don't just bring your Chamberlain Ernst along. No, you don't just uh, bring him along for just... fun. So Ernst is married with three children, right? But that doesn't really bother Anna because she's actually the mother to his youngest child. Wait. Carl Ernst. What? Yeah. This isn't like a – it doesn't have work in reverse without people knowing Yeah, shit. that's like, right. Yeah. So it's, this... it's very fair enough to be an emperor with illegitimate children and to bring your mistress along with you. But this never happens no, the other way around. No, it doesn't. So she brings her lover, Biron. And her love child. And her love child. And wait, hang on, Lauren, it gets even better. Because shortly after, Biron's wife moves into the palace with her two children by Biron. So now there's this weird, unorthodox family. Weird. Wow. Because, and because Biron know that she yes. had a child? And because Biron's wife has been raising Carl Ernst as her child. I mean, she knows. She knows she didn't. She knows she didn't give birth to that child. You can't hide that the same way. Yeah, you can't. You can't hide it. Oh no, it's definitely your totally your child. It's definitely yours. Let's get a blood test. Definitely. Oh, if you say so, I trust you. No, that's right. You definitely. You're pretty. You're pretty sure which kids you gave birth to and which you didn't. So what the fuck? I'm so confused. So she moves in with her two children, who are legitimately Biron's children, yeah. and Carl Ernst, and their little family unit. Did Anna do like a 
oh, I'm just wearing bigger dresses. I feel very self-conscious of my figure. I'm just going to hide my pregnancy under all of these elaborate gowns so well, that no one knows. She, well, Do you she want to pull a Pope Joan and give birth in secret? Or well, is... she would have had Biron's child back when she was in Courtland. And she was nobody then. She right. was like sort so of. So not really paying attention. Yeah, she was out in the sticks. Nobody would have been paying attention okay. to her. Okay. It didn't matter then. That's and so definitely, weird. like, the Supreme Privy Council didn't know that she had a child by okay. Biron. When so they she's put kept her relatively on the DL. Yeah. Totally on the download. Because up until this point, everyone thought, oh, she has no children. Yeah. But she has Carl Ernst. But the okay. thing is, is that Carl Ernst is not a legitimate child either. No. So he has no sort of no. positioning to go on the throne. There are ways of legitimizing illegitimate children. Very When true. you really want to. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I take that. So... Weird fucking family that life. That blew my mind. I didn't expect that. Anyway. <laughs> didn't see that coming. <laughs> so now they're living in the palace as a happy, weird threesome family. Weird. Life in the palace. Now Anna's kind of like, I mean, she's a good time gal. All right. So she's got herself. Like her aunt. Like her aunt. The average. Catherine the average. <laughs> she wants to have fun, you know? Girls just want to have fun. Girls just want to have Empresses fun. Empresses just want to have, fun. Want to have fun. Like who wants to rule this shit? <laughs> so she actually sets herself up. A completely different council to take over affairs. Yeah, okay. just she's still on board with the. I'm gonna let you guys rule in my yeah. state while I have fun, but I'm gonna make sure that I pick the people who are not gonna fuck me over. Yeah, she dissolved the Supreme Privy Council and she just sets up a ministerial cabinet, which is basically the same thing. Mm. But anyway, so what her day consists of is getting up at eight a.m. for coffee. Yeah, well, right. That's As you do, that's fine. That's what I do every yeah, morning. That's right. Eight a.m. coffee. Eight a.m. I'm coffee. there. Between 9 and 10 a.m., she receives ministers and signs decrees. Yeah. As you do. Same. That's same. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's my checking my emails. Yeah. After that, she goes riding with Biron. Riding yeah. with Biron. Just riding. That's yeah. what you do. Bit At, of morning delight. Yeah. <laughs> morning delight. At noon, she takes lunch with Biron and weird family. <laughs> yeah. Then after lunch, she has a nap for an hour. Obviously. This is just a, sta- this is a standard it's a day. day. It's a standard day. Oh, it's what's wrong with this day? Then after her nap, she basically has the rest of the day for her own amusement, you know? So she oh, just, just as does what she wants. opposed to... Going back to work. In the morning when she was doing all that hard work. Yeah, that's right. All the other stuff that she was doing. Yeah. That was definitely ruling the country. So she, basically what she does is she spends an hour a day signing paperwork... Yep. And then the rest of the time, she just fucks around. That's right. She just does whatever she fucking wants. Which is really what you... I think this is kind of one of the stereotypical images that we have of royalty, right? Yeah. Of a really rich playboy yep. kind of playgirl, I guess. You know, like, yeah, I'll spend all the monies. Yeah, you know, definitely. Just a party... Party life. I actually imagine that Trump's day is very similar. <laughs> I think he just mostly plays golf. Yeah. Nine to ten, sign some shit. Ten to... Midnight, write golf. tweets. Golf, then golf tweets. and tweets. And then golf. So he's very similar. And then some more. And some more. Some, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then call Putin. Have <laughs> yeah. a chat. Hang anyway. out. We've gotten, <laughs> right, we've gotten off track. <laughs> so that was her standard day. Wow. Okay. I could live that life. She had some really interesting habits. Yeah. Like some really cool hobbies. One of her favourite hobbies was shooting crows. She was big into mm. just shooting birds. And so the windows of the palace, like, they just were loaded muskets kind of just left sitting at the windows of the so palace. So to at her at pleasure, her leisure, she could pick up a musket. Oh, there's a bird. I will I'll just, just have a, my yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Have a shoot. And so she's not even bothering to go out on a proper hunt. Well, she does go out on proper hunts because she also hunts bears with a spear. Bears with a spear? Hunts bears with a spear. Motherfucker, that is rad. (laughs) I mean, I don't condone it. No. I would never. I would never hunt a bear with a spear. But that's pretty rad. That's up her alley. She enjoys that. (laughs) That's what she likes to do. She's a bit hardcore in her hobbies. But she also introduces theatre and Italian operas into the palace. Mm. She brings in a little bit of highbrow culture yeah. as well. It's not all just shooting Did birds. Did she also start the ballet She was the first to found a Russian I dance school. so, yeah. So that's something, props to her, that's something yeah. good she did. She and the Russians are still still dancing for their ballet. Still dancing. But she also enjoyed watching her court jesters. Yeah. You've pulled a face. What would yeah. you like I know, to say I'm about just, court I'm just thinking about her uncle's penchant for dwarves and I'm wondering whether she's going to have a similar court jester kind of. Yeah. Well, she let's humiliate these people for our enjoyment because yes. we are rich and powerful and we may humiliate others yeah, for, for our pleasure. For our pleasure. Yeah, yes. I well, she basically does. Yeah. In the reign of Anna, court jesters just exploded. She had shitloads. It was her thing. <laughs> it was the, they exploded like <laughs> fidget spinners. <laughs> Everyone's got one. Everyone wants a court jester. <laughs> and her court jesters included hunchbacks, Dwarves. So yeah, she did like any to hum- kind of any kind of minority that you can exploit, yeah. and humiliate, and including ethnicities from the furthest reaches of the of Russian course, Empire. Of so she had Kalmak women who are sort of like from Mongolia, oh, like and yeah. then Ukrainian, and sort of all of the ethnicities that you could find that you yeah. could bring into your court and sort of make fun of because they were different to you. And Peter the Great had had court jesters as well before because it was also very popular to sort of demote officers or noblemen to, to court jesters. Yeah, and because that's like a punishment. To, as a punishment. To as as, as a humiliation. Well. Yeah. yeah. So in Anna's court, she also had a few demoted noblemen from the previous Supreme Privy Council, yeah. including Mikhail. Glitzen. So remember earlier Glitzen, on, the yeah. Glitzens were in the Supreme Privy Council? I do remember the Glitzens. So Prince Mikhail has been demoted into her little he's court jester. He's a prince, yeah. He's a court jester. And he's now a court jester. Oof. And she makes him, he does has to do great things like pretend to be a chicken. Uh, he had been married previously to a Catholic Italian woman, but she had died shortly after their marriage. So that was something that they had in common. Their early deaths. Early deaths of their spouses. So we'll keep him in mind. There he is. Right. Right. Yeah. And Anna had masquerade balls and fireworks and lavish parties and banquets. She was big into spending See, the money. Again, this is the thing about the 18th century, man. They really knew how to party. They had so much in the way of partying. But interestingly, Anna couldn't abide drinking. Oh, what? Well, how did Frederick die? Oh, yeah. Because widow... Because Her love. Fre- because Frederick died from alcohol poisoning. So Anna was totally against sober alcohol. Sober party girl. She was a sober party girl. But you don't need to be drunk to have a good time. When if you have- not if you're humiliating minorities. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's what she's doing. It's terrible. <laughs> you can do that sober. <laughs> it's just as much fun sober. <laughs> so let me just tell you about her expenditure. Okay. okay, so her court running costs per year per were annum. about 260,000 rubles. 
which is about $42 million. $42 million. Okay. Yep. Yes. The stables, Standard. running the stables, about 100,000 rubles, $17 million. That's like almost half of the annual budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. About $7 million for small-scale costs like furniture. Okay. Yep. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, she spent as much on jewellery as she did on maintaining the Academy of Sciences. Oh, shit. Which was about $8 million. Wow. 47,000 rubles. And she only spent about 4,500 rubles on public education. Ooh. So not Ooh. nearly as important as jewellery and oh fireworks. So How much did she give to the arts? How much did she give to climate change funding? That's what I want to know. <laughs> History is mute on that point. <laughs> so she was a good time gal. Mm. And she wasn't running anything, obviously, because her ministerial cabinet were doing all that shit for her. And the wily Baron Osterman, mm-hmm. or Oosterman, Oosterman, from the original Privy Council, yep. he was still around because he was obviously one of those individuals that was good at manipulating. Yeah. And he had stuck around and he hadn't been exiled. And so she had basically nothing at all to do with the affairs of state. Baron Oosterman ran a lot of stuff. Buren took over and had an active role in basically the running of everything and did as he pleased. And there was one dissenter called Belinsky who wrote that Anna was a fool and that Buren did what he pleased. And then Belinsky was promptly charged with treason and executed. Oh, of course he was. This also tells us something about Anna because Anna was practically terrified of an uprising against Mm -hmm. her. And she was terrified of Peter the Great's daughter, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth? Yes, I do. So she actually reinstated what was known as the Chancellery of Investigations. Oh. Which was basically like like a a secret service. service, Which had been founded by Peter. Chancellery of Investigations. Yes. It's a great name. It's a pretty good name. And she reinstigated them to sort of sniff out political dissent. So she had them watch Elizabeth and she had them watch for dissenters. And a careless word could lead to arrest and torture. So during her 10-year reign, the Chancellery arrested and tortured about 28,000 suspects. Fuck off. 20,000. 28,000. Yep. About 20,000 of them were exiled to Siberia. (gasps) 5,000 just went missing. Went missing. Of 28,000, how many went to Siberia? 20,000. 20,000. About 20,000 exiled. 5,000, quote unquote, went missing. Went missing. 2,000 died during torture. Oh, my God. During torture. And 1,000 were executed. Oh, my God. So. 28,000. That's a lot of people. And the other thing as well that happened at the same time was that Russia was at war with the Ottoman Empire and they'd been at war with the Ottoman Empire for about four years. And she wasn't allowed to start any wars. She wasn't allowed to start any wars, but she, threw but she tore out. that up. Yeah. So, and during that, she didn't have any interest in the war. Like mm-hmm. it was all just being run elsewhere. But during that time, 46,000 Russian soldiers died. Mm-hmm. About one in eight of those died in battle. The remaining 40,000 died from starvation, disease, or neglect. So is this because she's not funding This is because the... she's having zero to do with actually funding she's the having military. All the parties and she's... buying jewellery yep. and shit. And eating jewellery like from a cereal bowl <laughs> on the cover of yes. a magazine. That's exactly what she's doing. funding the military and making sure that those men are fed and clothed. Yep. Yep. In what I imagine is probably really harsh conditions in... In know, the tundra? Yeah, In the exactly. freezing cold Russia? Yeah, yeah. She's not very popular because she basically spends her money on frivolities mm. while... This is the kind of thing that uh, leads to revolutions, That's I right. believe. Yeah. 
But yeah, so she's basically just uh, living the high life while Russians are dying left, right and centre. Many of them dying in war and many of them dying at the hands of the Chancellery of Investigations, which if either of us were going to write a dystopian novel... Totally would use that name. That's what we would use. For sure. She's spending up big. She's suspicious of everyone. She's scared of a coup. She's also suspicious of her guards, her palace guards, who were the ones that... Who wants her beefcakes. That's right. They helped put her on the throne. But she's so scared of them that she also sends them off to fight against the Ottoman Empire. And she puts a whole new different regiment in the palace of new guards because she's just paranoid. This is that whole thing about what power does, isn't it? Like, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. You know? And it makes you paranoid and it makes you do all of this stuff that she's doing. Yeah. Crazy stuff. poster child for... What happens when you abuse your power? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She sure is. (laughs) But at this particular point in time, she has more pressing concerns than war or poverty. Like she wants to move the court from Moscow back to St. Petersburg. Yeah. I mean... Because that's important. Better vistas. Yeah, way better. Well, Um, because in 1737, there was a big fire in Moscow. Oh. And it devastated most of the new town of Moscow. And it also burnt down Anna's palace. So that sucks. Oh, well... Then yeah. she's got to go. She's got to go somewhere. She's got to live somewhere. So she moves back into her new winter palace in St. Petersburg, which has about 100 rooms that are all lavishly furnished. Of course they are. With all of the rubles spent on all of the things. Yes. Something else that she uh, spends a lot of money on, a particular event that she hosts. I have a feeling I might know what this event is. So this is Prince Mikhail Galitsyn. Yeah. If we remember he got, him. He was made the court jester. So he's a court jester. Yes. And as I said, he was married before, but his wife died. You might think that Anna would have sympathy for him mm. because she knows she's what that's like. She's situation. But she doesn't. So for her own amusement, she decides that she's going to marry Galitsyn off to one of her Kalmak jester women. Uh-huh. And he, I think, is about like 53 at this stage or something. And the woman he's going to marry is probably about 20 years old or thereabouts. But she decides that for their wedding, she's going to have a bit of a fabulous party, right? So for this wedding, she's going to spend about 30,000 rubles, which is the equivalent of about mm, five to six million dollars, I would say. Pocket change. Pocket change. Mere pocket change. And the reason is she's going to build... A palace of ice. An ice. Yeah, I've heard about the ice palace. She's going to build Galitzin and his blushing bride a palace of ice. How nice of her to make them a home. Yeah, it's yeah. so nice, isn't it? I've read differing accounts of this ice palace, and we may never know the truth. Yeah. But in some accounts, it's about 17 metres long and about three metres high. Wow, that's really quite big. That's bigger than my house, I think. In other accounts, it's about 23 metres long and about 10 metres high. Whoa. That's like 33 feet. That's huge. Yeah. So I think for the benefit of entertainment value, we'll go with 10 metres high. Yeah, Let's go with that. The room we're in right now, the ceilings are probably like three metres? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty tall. Made out of ice. Wow. And the Ice Palace is furnished completely in furniture made of ice. ice. How did I know? You saw that coming? Yep. That bed would be really uncomfortable. Beds, pillows, seats, even logs of ice in the fireplace. (laughs) Like, seriously. Oh, my God. And the... What an elaborate, ridiculous thing to do. (laughs) It is elaborate, There were six cannons made of ice. Six cannons? At the entrances. 
There were statues made of ice. There was an elephant statue made of ice. I read one account that said that there was somebody that had to sit inside the elephant and bellow to make it sound like the elephant no. was making noises. Oh, my God. Um, so this yeah, is just, what crazy people do when they have too much money. Yeah, he had to sit in there and blow a horn. Oh, my so, God. Ridiculous ice palace. You can't make this shit up. No, you can't make this shit up. If I put this in a novel, everyone would be like, fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's not a real thing. I don't thing. care how corrupt your leader is. <laughs> You're not making an ice, ice palace. palace. That's too far. Yeah. Well, it wasn't for Anna. And the procession to the ice palace she had, again, all of her minorities in the procession, yeah. sort of for entertainment. Yeah. The bride and groom were in a cage on the back of an elephant. They Not rode like to on the... nice fluffy pillows on one of those nice elephant carrying things. <laughs> also, elephants in Russia, I can't imagine that they'd be cheap. They've got to travel yeah, a long they? way. Yeah. The French ambassador was in attendance at the I wedding. Was he just like... We've got Louis, but you guys... <laughs> you guys are fucking mental. This is fucked. <laughs> I should know. He wrote that the light that shone in from all sides was extraordinary. So well, you can imagine it being all lit up at night, the light playing and dancing look, off the ice. I'll give you this. It probably was stunning. It probably was. It would have made an excellent backdrop for a nice ice rink at Christmas time. Yeah, Elsa, again, has come back into the story. Yes. Elsa would have made this palace of ice. It would have been beautiful. But Anna also had fireworks and the whole shebang. But I imagine that the ice palace is probably really beautiful, but probably really torturous for its intended occupant. Indeed. Because the point of the story was that immediately after the wedding, the new married couple was forced to spend their their wedding night their wedding night in the ice palace so i imagine this is their wedding night in the traditional sense of the word wedding night are they expected to engage in the activities that one engages in on one's wedding night in the ice palace on the ice bed well with the ice blankets and the ice pillows (laughs) well one account that i read suggested that anna actually told them that they better otherwise they were going to freeze to death well that is how you keep warm yeah when you're freezing they do say you should get naked and cuddle another naked person well the intention was obviously that they would freeze to death in the ice palace overnight but the story goes that they didn't one version of the story goes that they well for one thing that the bride traded some jewelry for a coat from one of the guards good thinking good thinking and then the other story goes that they basically spent the whole night running around like mad people smashing stuff oh yeah yeah so they kept themselves kept themselves warm. warm Running around, good job. breaking anything good, they could find. Good job, guys. Yeah, smashing, Stick it to the man. Smashing all the shit that Stick they could find. Stick it to the Anna. Stick it to Anna. You show her who's boss. Yeah. So some of the stories go that they then survived the night and then went on to be happily married and have lots of children. Oh, there you go. Other stories go that they both shortly died afterwards of pneumonia. Oh, well, that's probably the more realistic version of the story. But either way, they saw the night out. Well, yeah, which is yeah. still a, a bit of a fuck you to Anna. They made it through the Ice Palace evening. Jesus, what a fucked up thing to do. What a ridiculously elaborate torture. I know. And like a weirdly beautiful one too. <laughs> like, Strangely beautiful. But the thing as well is you've got to remember is that this probably was like a deep-seated her version of doing what Peter the Great exactly, had done to her. Exactly. So that mock dwarf wedding that had basically been yeah. 
just to humiliate her. This is her version. This of is that. her version of it. Yeah, she's yeah. taking it out not on Peter the Great because he's dead and she can't. So she's doing it on. So she's doing guy it on from the Privy Council who pissed correct. her off. So she's held on to that. She's yeah. held on to that. Well, she's taken that. Grudge. Give it to her for her creativity. Such creativity and commitment to spending money. <laughs> <laughs> commitment to spending money on ice palaces. Oh man, basically. But well, someone who wasn't invited to Ice Palace wedding was Elizabeth. Oh, dear old what a cousin, snob. dear old cousin Lizzie. Of course, Anna's cousin, Peter's mm. daughter, who we remember, and Anna, of course, treated her with suspicion. But the thing was, is that Elizabeth, over time, had become quite popular with the palace guards. She was godmother to some of their children. Mm. She had quite a following behind her, and quite a following that believed that she might have more legitimate claim to the throne. because she does have a legitimate claim. She does. And if she can wrangle that beefcake army behind her, then that's what Anna did. Who can say what's going to happen next? Well. Well, Anna had some suspicions. So Anna was quite worried about Elizabeth. And she, of course, she wanted her line to stay on the throne. She didn't want to go back to Peter the Great's descendants. She wanted it to stay on her side, Ivan's side. So, so she's got a couple of sisters still, doesn't she? Yeah. So she, what she does is she decides to name her heir to the throne and she decides that it will be the son of her 14-year-old niece who wasn't oh. even married at the time that Anna named her mm-hmm. hypothetical son heir. The son of her 14-year-old niece? Yeah, because this is the only person that's left in line now mm-hmm. on this side of the family. I'm assuming this is an infant. Well, it hasn't even been born. Oh, oh my God. Okay. So, oh, that makes me feel better. Yeah. No, okay. so she so she hypothet- oh, this is like, oh, 14-year-old. No, oh, no, no, no. So she names the, the future, future son. hypothetical son of the 14-year-old niece. Okay, yeah. Cool. So yeah, she, the 14-year-old niece is actually not even married at the point good, in time where good. Anna As names, she shouldn't be. Yeah. As when Anna names her hypothetical and okay. as yet unborn son. Good job. Yeah. But she's just trying to get in early. Yeah. Right? But eventually her 14-year-old niece does grow into an adult and does get married and does have a son. Have a son. That's handy. Who she calls Ivan. So there's another Ivan oh, to throw handy. into the mix. So when Ivan is only two months old, Anna falls ill with kidney stones. Oh. It takes two painful weeks of inflammation and infection. Is this one of those long drawn out days? It's like when you stub your toe. Yeah. For Anna to finally die. Two weeks of kidney stones. That would be pretty painful, I She think. finally dies on the 17th of October, 1740. One of her last acts before she died was to appoint Biron as the regent for her now two-year-old... Great-nephew? Great-nephew and future emperor Oh, Ivan. of course. So she's making Biron her, like, again, the proxy... Ad- Regent. Proxy regent yeah. for Ivan. Anne herself was not particularly mourned when she died, well, unfortunately, by the people. She was kind of just basically remembered for excess cruelty. Yeah. Frivolity. But she did do some good things. She did set up the cadets. This Academy of Science had sort of been established by Peter, but she did continue to put money into it yeah. and she did continue to bolster it. She built the Peter and Paul Cathedral. Mm. She built a whole bunch of beautiful architecture. She completed waterways and canals. She was quite effective yep. in a lot of ways, but she was mainly remembered for all of the excess, the excess and the yep. crazy stuff that she did. 
But all of her last acts of trying to put Ivan on the throne were sort of all undone, sadly, because within two weeks of her death, the guards at the palace intervened, burst into the palace, sealed off the exits, found Biren sleeping, and he tried to hide under the bed. And then they dragged him out, and then he tried to run away. And then eventually they stripped him naked, tied him up, and took him out of the palace, past the rooms in which Anna's coffin still lay. Oh. Ooh. All those weeks later. Yeah, gross. And then Biren is stripped of all power and kicked out. Mm -hmm. And so what they do instead is they appoint Ivan's mother regent. So this is the niece originally. Yeah, that's right. Also because they believe that she was a bit stupid and could also be controlled in the same way that Anna could be controlled. So she's appointed... Did they not learn? Regent. No, they don't learn. (laughs) She's appointed regent to look after Ivan until he's old enough to rule. But because... Good old Elizabeth has been waiting for her moment. Mm, she's been in the wings for a long she's time. She's been in the wings for a long time, poor long-suffering Elizabeth. She thinks this is the moment to act. She rallies the palace around her and quickly enacts a coup. And Elizabeth takes over in the middle of the night. Wow. Takes up baby Ivan, exiles the mother and family. Baby Ivan has his own little story he basically becomes like the Russian equivalent of the man in the iron mask. Oh. And he's basically in prison for the rest of his life and shut away and never oh sees God. natural light and is shunted from prison to prison oh to prison. Poor and sort Ivan. of. Yeah, poor old Ivan is like hidden away. Ivan was emperor by proxy yeah. for a couple of years. And Elizabeth systematically destroys all the coins and imprintage with mm. Ivan's. Mm. identity on it his name is never to be spoken it's oh. very similar to the hatchets at yeah business but the other way around yeah so that's so many power grabs so many this coups. is so many coups and power grabs and this is basically where anna's it is a game of thrones this is where anna's lineage comes to an end yeah not that she ever really had one anna and her crazy frivolity flash in the pan she's gone yeah and, and she leaves behind her some architecture Dance Academy. And then over the next century, there are so many female rulers of Russia. Mm. Because, I mean, there have been female rulers beforehand. Obviously, Catherine the Average as well. Yes. But in the next sort of century, directly after Anna, there are just female rulers after female rulers. And there's a huge line of empresses that take charge in Russia. Well. And it's a fascinating History of Russia. (laughs) So, Anna, not a lot of take-home positives. (laughs) I think that there are some take-home positives. Like we said, she contributed a lot to the arts and, like, the arts culture in Russia. The Dance Academy, there was the Science Academy, there was the Boy Scouts, whatever they were called. The The Cadets. She did some things. She did do some things, absolutely. But she also did... Some terrible things. bizarre stuff. Yeah. Which I kind of think is great. Oh, well, at look, the same time again, as creativity, being... the fact that she shot crows from the windows and kept muskets there for when the mood took her. <laughs> I think that's pretty fun. Hunting bears with a spear? Good on her. She's a tough nut. Yeah. She's a tough nut. <laughs> <laughs> She's a pretty fascinating yeah. individual. Definitely. And that ice palace. <laughs> There's something there to be admired in her her wacky weirdness. 
and cruelty. Yeah, and that's what she was remembered for. <laughs> creative um, cruelty. Creative cruelty. I think that's how we should remember her at the end of this journey. <laughs> remember her for her outrageous expenditure and a complete disregard for human life. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think that's fine. Yeah. And a disregard for elephants. So I think that brings us to the end yeah. of Anna's story. Wow. An enjoyable Anna. one. Anna the Outrageous. Anna the Outrageous. Catherine the Average, Peter the Great, Ivan the Terrible. Anna the Outrageous. Anna the Outrageous. Excellent. So before we sum up for this week, we had some shout outs and some thank yous yeah, that we wanted to do. do. Okay. So let's do that. So first of all, Thank you so much to everybody who are following us and who are tweeting at us and who are emailing us and to those of you who are leaving us reviews on iTunes because you guys are the best. It makes me the happiest to read reviews. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and we beg for them too. We beg. You know <laughs> so what? when you respond to our begging, we get happy. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna give you a little shout out to those of you who have made our days by giving us reviews. So first of all, we want to thank Bok Choy Boy. We want to thank... Anna Brodovich, E Banger, COJ73, CJ McLean94, and Louise Annabelle. Thank you guys for your reviews. Thanks. You are the best, and we love you. And they are all five star reviews. Hooray! So go us. Yay! <laughs> go you guys. And also thank you to our Patreon House supporters. Patreon supporters. Don't forget if you would like to support us on Patreon. Please do, just yeah, do, just do search that. Deviant Women on Patreon, you'll find us, and we'll send you some amazing merch if you um, subscribe. We have stickers, and we have pins, enamel pins, and we have t-shirts. And we'll be giving some exclusive online-only Patreon-supported content as well. Get on board, please, and we'll also have a merch shop coming very soon. Yes. Thank you again. Please continue to share us, support us. Find us, rate us, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, share the love. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Do we have any clues for next time? <gasps> yes. Next week, we're delving into fiction. It's not just... We're, no, we're doing a hey, fiction hey. historical crossover next we week. Are. So we've got a real historical woman, and we're going to be talking about a, a novel that she is portrayed in, and we're going to have a special guest. Special guest. We love special guests. So um, please join us next week as we delve back into history and literature we look forward to having you on board and joining us again yep and until next time thank you see ya see ya